A decades-old federal law stands in the way of Alaska, Hawaii, and the U.S. territories from reducing costs of goods into these communities not linked by common borders to the lower 48 states. Will policymakers finally help the most isolated parts of the American family see a modern economic prosperity in light of challenges to the supply chain? A look at the U.S. maritime shipping laws, specifically the Jones Act. On That's It, That's All. You are listening to That's It, That's All with Sean DiMatato. You are in the right place. Welcome to That's It, That's All. Sean Gumatauto here, the host of the podcast. Get LLC brings you the episodes of That's It, That's All. Get LLC is a Guam-based consulting and specialty construction materials and supplies firm serving public and private sector organizations in Micronesia. Business plans, contract management, Iridium satellite telephones, construction materials for every part of the building envelope. They can deliver right to you and your job site. For more information about Get LLC, check them out on the World Wide Web at get-guam.com. Find out today how they can best serve your business's specific needs. A warm hello to those listeners in Moraga, California, a suburb of Oakland in the Bay Area. Also, greetings to those of you listening in Stockbridge, Georgia, just southeast of Atlanta. The listenership is growing with each episode. Not to forget the listeners across the island of Guam in the village of Jotnia. Hop a day to you all. We appreciate you having That's It, That's All on your journey from one end of Paradise Guam to the other. Download the podcast for your next gym workout, road trip, and that time on your laptop and desktop computers. A big thank you to our friends at redcircle.com in placing the podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher and Amazon Music. Remember that you can also listen to That's It, That's All on iHeartRadio and Pandora. Click like, subscribe, or follow this particular podcast right now. My son EJ asked me to discuss this important issue. Son, here you go. As an isolated American community, we are highly dependent on maritime shipping to receive most of the goods brought into our island. Foodstuffs, fuel, automobiles, building supplies. This important service is not unique to Guam. The other U.S. territories are in the same situation. Ships of all shapes and sizes make the trek from the major port hubs on the east and west coasts of the United States to support the supply chain needs of Puerto Rico and the Virgin Islands in the Caribbean and Guam and American Samoa and the CNMI here in the Pacific. Also, the states of Alaska and Hawaii rely similarly on these maritime shipping services as a lifeline for the 2.1 million U.S. citizens who call these great frontiers of America home. All of this American commerce is guided by the Merchant Marine Act of 1920. The U.S. law mandates that all goods transported by water between U.S. ports are required to be carried on U.S. flagged ships constructed in the United States owned and crewed by U.S. citizens. When it was passed just over 100 years ago, Congress created the law which was necessary for the defense of the nation 
coming out of World War I and to ensure a vibrant United States maritime industry in peacetime. Recently, President Joe Biden reiterated his strong support of the Jones Act via the signing of the Made in America executive order on January 25, 2021. In a release from the White House, quote, the president will continue to be a strong advocate for the Jones Act and its mandate that only U.S. flag vessels carry cargo between U.S. ports, which supports American production and America's workers, close quote. Shipping costs under this federal law, known as the Jones Act, is expensive and competition limited. A U.S. Government Accountability Office report in 1988 found that the Jones Act was costing Alaskan families between $1,921 and $4,821 annually for increased prices paid on goods shipped from the U.S. mainland to Alaska. In 2012, the Federal Reserve Bank of New York found that shipping costs for a 20-foot container from the mainland United States to Puerto Rico was $3,063, but only $1,503 for the same container from the mainland United States to the nearby Dominican Republic. Provisions of the Jones Act has also been applied differently across the U.S. states and territories, leaving in its wake varying degrees of impacts. The Tripartite Treaty of 1899 that created American Samoa carved out a bit of an exemption from the Jones Act, permitting coastwise shipping with Germany and Great Britain. Impacts of the Jones Act in the U.S. Virgin Islands was predated by a 1938 Act of Congress, 10 years after joining the American family to help their economy due to its geographic location and sparse population. The Commonwealth of the Northern Mariana Islands received an exemption to the Jones Act under the 1976 Compact with the United States after leaving the trust territory of the Pacific Islands. When the shipping industry has problems in these east and west coast ports, strikes, aging vessels, weather, infrastructure equipment maintenance, these issues have a trickle-down effect on each and every one of the seven American communities served under the Jones Act. Over the past 20 years, there has been pushes from many areas of the Congress and Senate to repeal the Jones Act. The arguments have been made that by doing so would significantly lower shipping costs and have a positive welfare effect on the overall U.S. economy. As the country is still in the grips of a global pandemic, experts argue that a repeal would be a true stimulus to the economy as we face tough economic times. This podcast is sponsored by Get LLC, a consulting and specialty construction materials and supplies firm. Since 2012, they have provided valuable services to their customers across Micronesia and North America. Check them out on the World Wide Web at get-guam.com. They have a presence on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, too. Get LLC. Find out today how they can best serve your business's specific needs. Following its passage into law in February 1921, Washington Senator Wesley L. Jones presented a paper 
to Academy of Political Science about the Merchant Marine Act of 1920. It is an interesting read where Jones breaks down the importance of the act. At the time, the Academy was one of only a handful of organizations that claimed to produce nonpartisan analytical studies. The Brookings Institute was another. The Jones paper does start with this, quote, The Merchant Marine Act of 1920 is an earnest effort to lay the foundation of a policy that will build up and maintain an adequate merchant marine in competition with the shipping of the world. Close quote. Jones used this document as a way to break down the importance of the different sections of the federal law, from the need to strengthen national defense, the creation of a national shipping board, and the integration of the Postal Service into in selecting steamship lines, Jones attempts to sell the importance of the act to, among other things, strengthen overall American foreign trade relations. Writing about Section 21 of the act, Jones wrote that the coastwise laws of the United States are extended, quote, to our island territories and possessions after February 1, 1922, if adequate steamship service at reasonable rates to accommodate the commerce and passenger travel has been established and the board is directed to establish and maintain such service until it can be taken over and operated by private capital and enterprise. Close quote. Jones goes on to write, quote, to ensure that none of these possessions will be without adequate service, the president is authorized to extend the period within which such coastwise laws are to be extended for such time as may be necessary for the establishment of adequate shipping facilities. Close quote. Jones adding that the trade at the time was over $100 million a year and largely carried by foreign vessels. And another quote, it ought to be carried in American ships and offers an opportunity not only to put under the American flag more ships, but ships of the highest type and most desirable for ocean commerce. The carrying of that trade should be ours. We can have it if we will, if we do not take it. No one is to blame but us. Close quote. Jones put the burden on the American business sector at the time, writing that private enterprise should prepare to handle this trade between America and its territories. Interestingly, this particular paper did not mention Section 27, or the section that mandates that all goods be transported by water between U.S. ports on U.S. flagships constructed in the United States and owned and crewed by U.S. citizens. As I read this document, I was taken aback by the importance that Jones put on the 1920 Act. He even remarked that partisanship had no place in the creation of the law, striking a very nationalistic tone. Jones had a belief that America could hold its own with any ships and its own merchant marine. At the end of the paper, Jones wrote this, quote, If every American will place the nation's good 
above individual welfare, think, talk, and act Americanism and give wholehearted support to the law passed to aid the United States and uphold those who administer it solely in the interest of the United States and its citizens, we will have an adequate merchant marine that will secure our own interests and promote the world's welfare. Close quote. 36 years later, I wanted to share with you that Clarence G. Morse, who served as Maritime Administration Administrator and Chairman of the Federal Maritime Board under three U.S. Presidents, wrote that much of the Merchant Marine Act of 1920 was to sell the large fleet of World War I built merchant ships and serve the commerce needs of the country with those ships. Uh, private operation, if you will. Morse, in a, uh, in a paper called A Study of American Merchant Marine Legislation, wrote this, quote, Without America's sound maritime policy, this could leave important segments of our industry without means of transporting products to overseas markets or obtaining vital raw materials. Close quote. Morse adding this. Established on specific essential trade routes, the American flag operators tailor their operations, equipment, and service to the needs of their trade, ensuring a continued flow of our vital import and export commerce. And that's a close quote. Now, the expansion of the act through amendments over the years is the foundation of what has been driving today's modern transshipment industry. It has been an expansion or a lack of it that critics have called protectionism, disguised as national security. Its price tag and benefits have many asking if it is time to eliminate it or make it better to really strengthen the economy of America and not the pocketbooks of the companies serving this important role in the U.S. supply chain. This podcast is sponsored by Get LLC, a consulting and specialty construction materials and supplies firm. Since 2012, they have provided valuable services to their customers across Micronesia and North America. Check them out on the World Wide Web at get-guam.com. They have a presence on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, too. Get LLC. Find out today how they can best serve your business's specific needs. Across America, both sides of the political aisle are honestly trying to keep the Jones Act intact. Obviously, they have not talked to citizens or professionals from the U.S. territories, Alaska or Hawaii, who have completely different takes. Mary Anastasia O'Grady of the Wall Street Journal, she wrote an opinion piece in early April that the Jones Act works to keep out foreign competition and enrich the U.S. maritime lobby and to include shipbuilders, unionized crews, and shipping firms. Now, the piece centered on Alaska's tourism that's failing and unable to reach market centers in the cruise industry in nearby Canada during the ongoing pandemic. U.S. Secretary of Transportation Pete Buttigieg pledged to step into the fray to help resolve a dispute between vessel operators and U.S. exporters over container pricing and availability. Now, the Chattanooga, Tennessee-based online publication The American Shipper reported last month 
that testifying before the House Transportation and Infrastructure Committee relative to the Biden administration's infrastructure policies, Secretary Buttigieg was asked by lawmakers what he could do to expedite a, to expedite a solution to the congestion that has been going on for months, particularly at West Coast ports, and that exporters say is costing millions of dollars in spoiled cargo. His answer was this, quote, I think it is part of the broader conversation about supply chain that certainly the administration is concerned about. Some of this might involve wandering a little outside the lane in what the Department of Transportation does, but it's another example of where we need to be collaborating and coordinating with other partners in the administration to make sure we have a whole-of-government approach, unquote. In a letter penned by U.S. Senators Roger Wicker and Maria Cantwell and Congressman Peter DeFazio and Sam Garces, published in the Defense News, the four D.C. lawmakers noted that the Jones Act has been a pillar of American security and prosperity for a century, noting, quote, Some voices continue to call for the repeal of the law. However, there is little reason to believe outsourcing our shipping industry to foreign nations would benefit American consumers or workers. If foreign flag vessels were allowed in our domestic sea trade, they would still have to comply with U.S. laws, including wage, tax, immigration, and a host of other policies and regulations these compliance costs would still be passed down to consumers. Close quote. When there is a thought of American security and prosperity, no one checked their counterparts on the Hill who have long sought the repeal. I'm talking about those congressional delegations in the territories and in Alaska and in Hawaii. Now, I tend to swing in agreement with a Cato Institute policy analysis that was done nearly three years ago. It was written by Colin Graybow, Inu Manak, and Daniel Inkinson. Now, the document is entitled The Jones Act, A Burden America Can No Longer Bear. It explored various arguments, including protectionism cloaked in national security, how the Jones Act restricts shipping and its nation. Uh, and, and, and is the nation more secure? Now, in a section called 100 Years Too Many, the think tank authors recommended a granting of a permanent exemption of the Jones Act for Alaska, Hawaii, Puerto Rico, and Guam. Well, for Alaska, Hawaii, Puerto Rico, and Guam, which are located hundreds and in some cases thousands of miles from the U.S. mainland, the Jones Act presents a particularly heavy burden. Now, the Cato Institute said that forced to, reply, uh, forced to rely upon Jones Act vessels for trade with the rest of the country, these states and territories suffer from artificially inflated transportation costs and an inability to take full advantage of international trade routes. A non-Jones Act compliant ship steaming from Japan to Los Angeles, for example, will not be able to stop in Hawaii on the way there, nor on the way back. Quote, granting exemptions for these far-flung states and territories 
would have the salutary effect of both relieving them of an unnecessary burden as well as serving as an experiment to assess the costs and benefits of Jones Act liberalization with a view towards future liberalization for the entire country. Close quote. We are so far away. Maybe we can be better served in the international transshipment lines from flag vessels in our region. Again, these would be non-U.S. flag vessels. It would surely pick up business and interests of foreign corporations willing to invest in our part of the Western Pacific, Guam specifically. Now, if boats could be flagged from different countries, well, then maybe the same could be done for Guam's air transportation links and have somewhat similar benefits. Access to regional ports could be a saving grace during these crazy and, uh, and awkward uh, economic times. Costs are already high for goods brought here via ship. Take any commodity on the shelves in a Guam store and put that against the same commodity in, for conversation's sake, Topeka, Kansas. That commodity would have made the trek in Kansas from the manufacturer in a couple days at a cost that is way smaller, right? Big rigs and big longliner operation costs really are worlds apart in total costs annually, and those are always passed on down to consumers. For Guam and the others outside the lower 48, the Jones Act makes things so much more expensive. The Cato Institute isn't too far off. A lifting of the Jones Act would do much to strengthen the supply chain, which has exposed its weaknesses recently in America's total response to the global COVID pandemic. Whether the 100-year-old Jones Act policy has been a failure, only historians will be able to tell when the final act is played out. It has done much to help America's maritime industry grow at a time when it really needed to. While it had started out with good intentions, lack of modernizing or liberalizing over time has caused suffering to Americans in Guam, Puerto Rico, Alaska, and Hawaii. Now, there is no question that when our mainland friends benefited from the expansion it brought to the lower 48, the damage done to America's Pacific and Caribbean communities remains to this very day. The Merchant Marine grew, but it's now a relic. In response to disaster, the Jones Act has left these American communities vulnerable during man-made and natural disaster. It is still protectionism. The U.S. and very few other countries have closed maritime industries. Rail, trucking, and even airlines have seen deregulation over the past 50 years, but not the merchant marine industry. The Jones Act is burdensome. For 100 years, the industry has been driven by shipping companies and unions, all at a cost. Despite its protection from the highest of levels of the American government, it is truly time to repeal the Jones Act. That's it. That's all. If you enjoyed this podcast, download, press subscribe, or follow us right now. More great content is on the way. Talk to you soon.
The That's It, That's All podcast is produced by Sean Gamatata. Executive producer is Trisha Gamatata. Hit the subscribe or follow button and leave a review. Thanks for listening.